In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I take a step back from talking about the Sixers and instead recap all of the major changes that have happened in the Eastern Conference, going over how the Sixers match up against them and how that impacts their chances of winning the East. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. And it's been a little while since we talked. Uh, we had a podcast last week, but you and I have not spoken in a couple of weeks. I hope you had a great vacation, and welcome back. Derek, I'm doing fine. It is uh, it is good to be back from a longer vacation for the first time in uh, in three years. And the nice part about this vacation, because I've thought this multiple times during during the vacation, because the NBA really doesn't stop. For the Sixers, and I would say 80% of the league, it did stop yep. for about three or four weeks. So that's nice. But there's always, you know, those teams that have unsettled situations. And there were about four or five times over the past couple of weeks where I thought to myself, man, thank God I'm not covering that team. Yeah. Well, there and are it, not and, many the way, times it had, I feel like it had nothing the- to do. It had nothing to do with covering that team in general. Just they had stuff to do. And I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've certainly had our, our share of controversies to cover over the years so having a little bit of a break here before the start of camp camp now but a little over three weeks away uh, i think um media day is yeah a little over three weeks away so mm-hmm. we are going to be gearing up here pretty soon but all of those moves that did happen for some teams and moves that didn't happen the eastern conference now finally feels a little bit more resolved than it was when you had donovan mitchell looming when you had kevin durant seemingly looming Finally, after weeks and weeks and weeks, really after two months, the Eastern Conference feels a little bit settled. So we're going to take a little bit of a step back and give some of our opinions on some of the teams and the moves that have transpired, and I guess sort of weave in there where the Sixers stand. So I guess we'll probably start off with the biggest news item of the week, the Cavs acquiring Donovan Mitchell. That was shocking. That was completely shocking. I think that was shocking for just about everyone, too. Not just reporters or fans, but I think people around the league, too. I don't think the Knicks expected the Cavs that come in there that hot and heavy when they took a step back like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they ended up, what, uh, Markkanen, Bahi, Sexton, three unprotecteds, and two swaps. So they gave up a lot. Is this sort of the right player to go all in on? I'm not sure, but I think in, we'll talk about the, the Knicks aspect of this. The Cavs were more in a position to do this, in my opinion. Now, I'm not sure if it's the right move because— you know, Donovan Mitchell, like, is he going to stay? Is he the guy that puts you over the top? I'm not sure on either of those, although he he does have three more years on his contract, so that mitigates that first risk a little bit more. I uh, I will note that Cleveland last year, while they were clearly the team that the Sixers and everybody was absolutely dying to draw in the playoffs for three months there when they seemed like they were going to be in that top six mix. They were like a number three seed for a hot minute there and then had horrible injury luck down the stretch. And they did that with their best players being like, what, like 23, 21, and 20. It's not the easiest thing to do. And for them, there is a little bit of good to great that they got to prove. That's like being in the middle of the pack is easy. Taking a step up is is tougher. But there's a couple things that they do have going for them. Evan Mobley has a chance to be, I think, a super elite player. Yep. We'll see if he gets there. The offense has a long way to go. Like you could tell 
when Garland gave up the ball last year and they tried to run some offense through Mobley, just wasn't going to work. Now he was what? He was 19, 20 years old. So that's okay. I'm not, uh, not foreclosing on that happening. But that dude has special defensive instincts. He's got pretty good offensive instincts as well. He's just got to make more jumpers, kind of iron out the edges in his game. So Cleveland has that core where Donovan Mitchell feels like he fits them pretty well. You know, I we, we talked about the the two shrimp backcourt and the Sixers. Well, Cleveland. Yeah, that's Cleveland. an issue. Yep. They, and they have such a goofy team. I'm very excited to watch them play because they have the two really good offense first guards who are both like in their own ways, just excellent on ball creators. And then they got the two big guy look where, you know, those guys have covered up for a lot of weaknesses and then wings. Eh, let's just forget about that. You know, it's, it's fine. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know exactly where they are in the East right now. Um, I, I do know that they have a very young team. Like when Donovan Mitchell, 26 years old is the elder statesman of your four man core. That's that's pretty good. Like you, you probably should get a little bit better. So I, I'm not sure I would have done the move, but I, I certainly think Cleveland, as compared to the Knicks, we're a better team to make this type of move. Yeah, I mean, look, I, we've we've gone over Mitchell a couple times here over the summer. Um, I am not as big on Mitchell as a lot of people. I I'm not going to tell you he's not an All Star caliber player, and he's a star level scorer. I don't think he's quite the you know superstar level vault Cleveland into the you know championship contention kind of player that I think some people have reacted since that trade. Uh, I think they've been a little overboard in that regard. But I do think, you know, if you're going to pair him with another ball-heavy point guard, I think Garland's a pretty good, offensively, I think they're a pretty good fit. I think Mitchell is going to be able to, um, you know, play off ball. I think he has that catch and shoot in him. Uh, I think they're. I think Garland is such an incredible passer. I think they're going to play off of each other relatively well offensively. Defensively, I think there's a pretty big concern. Uh, I mean, they are a real short, real defensively challenged backcourt. Very short. <laughs> and I mean, Mitchell compounds that by just playing shitty defense as well, technique defense. I I'm not. And look, they have like their front court is well built to try to counteract that. Like I I have a lot of faith in Evan Mobley, not only growing into an elite defender, but also currently being a very very good defender. He's awesome. Um, yeah. I, Combine that with Jared Allen, it's a little bit unorthodox. A little less unorthodox now they got rid of Markinen, but it's still not what you would typically see in you know in 2022. But I think Mobley's mobility, I think they're going to be a very, very potentially a great defensive front court um, to try to overcome that shrimp backcourt. <laughs> but you're still going to get in the playoffs, and like I think Boston's eyes are going to light up because it's mm-hmm. really tough to cover that up, and they've got two guys they've got to cover up now. So do I? Am I going to tell you that they're championship contenders now? No, I I I think that is going a little bit too far. I do think they are a uh, improved team, and I do think that they are young enough. Like we talk about Mitchell, he's still twenty five. Mobley's twenty one, I think. Garland's right around there too. They are very ex- exceptionally young, which probably also tells you that maybe this year might be a little early for them. But I think they are. You know, I I could see them sneaking sort of into that four five range of the East. I'd be surprised if they made it in the top three. I think the top three. Barring injury is pretty locked in, and I do think they're a, a, a tier below those top three. But I think, you know, clearly they have. I mean, they're going to be electric to watch. But I do still feel like there are a couple too many holes, um, and I do worry a little bit. And I tend to worry about this a lot, but I worry a little bit that they're a little bit too inflexible. Was Mitchell the right one to go all in on? I'm not sure, but I also like you could save all those assets and save all those draft picks, and just a player never shows up. 
and you have to make a decision on Sexton. Yeah, and you're Cleveland. Uh, So I understand why they would do that. I just worry that the two backcourt will be tough to overcome and tough to build around, even if acknowledging right now that their frontcourt makes them maybe the team to try. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that. Do you think uh, at a time, Mitchell was one of the Sixers fans, Sixers Twitter's least favorite people. Do you think he still qualifies as that? You know, no, no, because I mean, that all came stemmed from, you know, Ben Simmons and the rookie of the year thing. And no, he gained a lot of sympathy, I think, from that. Like, he's a good guy in that battle now. No, I don't think there's oh, that much. Oh, so you think it's the opposite now? You think people retroactively are, are Donovan Mitchell, 2016-17, <laughs> rookie of the year. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't, I don't. Just judging by the reaction of a lot of people when it became obvious that Utah was going to move him, just judging by the reaction of a lot of fans who wanted to try to pursue him, I would say there's a lot of, of Donovan Mitchell fans in Philly. Yeah. By the way, I got a big kick out of Danny Ainge when it first started leaking. Oh, yeah. We're keeping Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, this yeah. Rudy Gobert trade. We're, we're not going to move. What are, you, what are you talking about? Oh, my God. We're, that was that was garbage. Look, I just give Donovan Mitchell or uh, Donovan Mitchell. I just give Danny Ainge for finally making a trade. Like after years of almost making trades in Boston and, and leaking that he almost made a trade. Hey, he pulled a couple he, off. He did a little leaking this week, too. You know, he. but yeah, he uh, look, I, I think as far as the the tank job that he's got going, it's pretty good. By the way, there's no. uh Nothing wrong with this, though, by the way. They just tore down a, uh, you know, a four seed and a one seed the year before. And, you know, in a small market, too, where they can't get players. Yeah, just tore it down. It's great. So, uh, <laughs> look, I mean. Sam Hinkie made this acceptable in a strange way. In a strange way. Well, look, a- Adam Silver, he need, are they all in the same division, the, the Northwest division? Oh, or? I don't remember divisions. Yeah, I think so. I, I think so. Adam Silver should be forced to watch every one of those teams' games this year. Houston, Oklahoma City, uh, who else we got? Uh, San Antonio, and now uh, now Utah as well. Yeah. As long he as should... you have multiple miserable teams, then you don't focus on any one of them, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. And if it's not in a big market, yeah, it's ridiculous. I So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think Donovan Mitchell, he's he's a weird player in that, I really like some of the stuff he does in the playoffs. He's he's almost a little bit Kyrie-ish to me, where I think he's an overrated regular season player. Like Rudy Gobert was the guy who was driving most of those regular season wins. Obviously, really good system that Donovan Mitchell was a part of with all those ball handlers. But there were a couple times in the playoffs, like against the Clippers and against Oklahoma City a few years ago when they had Westbrook and Anthony. That dude just gets buckets yeah. when the the other team is taking away all of the easy stuff. And there is a value to that. So yep. I agree. You know, it's it's an interesting player to pair, especially I kind of like it too when you pair him with Garland, who to me is a much more well-rounded yeah. offensive yep. operator where he throws some, he's like a sneaky when you're in person watching that guy play. He's very crafty and, yes. and very good. Uh, so I, I definitely, from like an NBA fan standpoint, would rather watch Mitchell here. And it, the overall take here, man, the East is pretty good. Like, you know, the Sixers, we think they're going to win a lot of games this year. It's not going to be easy. Like, no, I think no, it's not. One to 10 through the East. Basically, my point is, I think the Sixers, if they win 54 games, that could be like a two seed just because everybody's bunched because there's not a lot of easy games in the East. You know, I think the bottom four or five teams are, are going to be easier to beat, but you know. As we saw last year, like it's like the Pistons, they have Cade Cunningham, you know. So it's uh, 
there's very much a, a have not class in the NBA now that runs about six, seven teams at this point, but everybody else is trying to win and everybody else has things going for them. And Cleveland like more than has things going for them. They, I expect them to be in play for the six to four seed and they've, they've strengthened their case this season for that. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I agree. It, I think the question mark comes to Miami and can they perform at that level for one more year? But I could certainly see if, Miami stumbles. I could see uh, Cleveland pushing for that four seed. If not, I could see them pushing for that five seed. I think they'll be right there. Like I said, a step below the top of the Eastern Conference, the top three teams, is what I would expect. But other than that, I think they can do pretty much anything. Um, it will be interesting to see how they, they overcome their deficiencies in the playoffs, but that is a long time away. All right, so I guess that's a, a easy... Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, let's get to the Knicks part of this. Well, I was going to say that's an easy pivot to the Knicks, who didn't get uh, Donovan Mitchell. So to me, a lot of people are clowning them. And look, you know, you deserve to be clowned when you're that bad of a franchise for such a long time and you are poorly run. People are clowning them. I don't think they were good enough to make this move. Like, I think getting Mitchell and trading their good draft assets to pair him with Jalen Brunson, I think they need other stuff to go right before they can make that type of move. Cleveland had a better type of core and the Knicks, they never get free agents but they can reasonably say if they're good, they might be able to get a free agent uh, at some point. So I think for for their standpoint, going all in on Donovan Mitchell could have boxed them in to a certain degree. So for them to not give up. And by the way, Cleveland gave up a shit ton here. So if anything goes wrong with them, you know, they gave up their whole draft until 2029. And it's we're moving to the point where the league is just going to be Seven teams have all the draft assets, and twenty-three of them have yeah. none. Well, it, I think I think what's going to be real interesting now that first-round picks become so devalued. What happens when some of these teams that went all in, it doesn't work out? Players get unhappy. You need you know to make changes to 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 improve your roster to fill your holes. You have nothing left to do. It'll be really interesting. I think in two to three years, when when you sort of get to the point where you have to live with the realization that you traded all your assets and you're very inflexible. And there's a lot of teams like that right now. Yeah, and I wonder if there's going to be a sellback at some point when those teams are trying to win. Maybe they need another piece, and the the piece that you went all in for is unhappy. And do, do you get that at a discount? I'm not sure. It'll be uh, it'll be fascinating because you're you're right. Not not everybody can make good on these trades. Like some teams are going to disappoint, you know. Uh, but it is it's just crazy. Like the Sixers are wildly inflexible. They're not as inflexible as like seven or eight teams yeah. at this yep. point. So yep. it's just. It's goofy. Uh, but yeah, I, I would not have made that move if if I was the Knicks. I would have. You know, they, they, they the certainly had more stuff was, to trade. Oh, yeah. No, they, they could have gotten this deal done. I think the reporting is that they limited themselves to two unprotected first round picks, and that was a sticking point. I do wonder a little bit from Utah's perspective, maybe two picks from the unprotected picks from the Knicks might be worth more than three unprotected picks from the Cavs. That's a good thought. We'll see. But I mean, they also got more than just. You know, I think getting the uh, 2022 first, uh, I think that was a factor too. Look, if, if Donovan Mitchell was on the Knicks, he would have had three or four games that just set Madison Square Garden on fire and they would have been in the play-in round and they would have lost. So you you don't think that Jalen Brunson's elevating them to top six in the Eastern Conference? I, I Is don't. Is that your hot take? I don't. I also, just in reading up though this summer, I don't think the Jalen Brunson contract is all that bad. No. I think his fit is bad with the, the Knicks is like, he's going to play with Julius Randle. And really yeah. that was just more of a mistake for Dallas to let him go. But no, he's not going to move the Knicks to some 
crazy level. But that said, I, I don't mind that move because, again, it just costs cap space and, you know, they'll, no. they'll be okay. All right. They won't be okay because they're the Knicks and they're bad, but they still like have their flexibility and they have a chance to, to make moves. But they, man, they got to hit on a draft pick at some point. All right. So let's uh, move on to the other New York team then, uh, also because they are the most in the news. Kevin Durant and the Nets love each other and they will be together forever and they are happy and everything's great. So let's get to the, the more important news on the Nets. Did you see Ben Simmons get booed by the U.S. Open fans last night? No, I didn't. <laughs> he got booed by a crowd that was so raucous cheering for Serena Williams that I, I've almost never seen a tennis crowd like it in my life where they weren't booing the, uh, I think it was Tamjalovich. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't get her name right. She was awesome. She beat Serena Williams. They weren't booing her points, but I've never seen a tennis crowd just silent after her points. Like, imagine winning half the points, you hit a great shot, and there's no applause whatsoever. That doesn't happen in tennis, but I guess it happened because people really wanted to see Serena Williams win. In that environment, Ben Simmons got actively booed it by that crowd. It's oh, unbelievable. So, yeah, he's he's a part of the Brooklyn Nets, and as is Kevin Durant. And I guess the question is just, like, how long is this, uh, you know, this pause in the the friction of the relationship, how long is that going to last for? They're having an armistice. They taunt. Yeah. yeah. So the, the statement um, from Marx, we have agreed to move forward with our partnership. We are focusing on basketball with one collective goal in mind, build a lasting franchise to bring a championship to Brooklyn. Uh, I am buying. Um, and I thought what was interesting, I forget who did it. It feels like a Bontemps thing where like the majority of, cause he likes to do those polls where the majority of GMs, uh, thought that Durant would be on the Nets after the trade deadline. That surprised me because I am very skeptical. Very, very, very skeptical. Um, this very much feels like something where the Nets would have convinced him, look, Kevin, the trade market's just not here right now. We can't get this deal done. Let's push this, you know, come back, play it out, and reevaluate everything at the trade deadline. That, to me, that's very much what it feels like. I don't know. There's so much uncertainty. I definitely think that team has the biggest chance to blow up next year. But look, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I still have that game in Philly when Ben had a, what, like a hockey jersey on on the bench and he, he came back yeah. and he did whatever. They were unguardable. When those guys got it cooking, it is legitimately insane how uh, how talented they are and really how helpless the opposition is to really defend anything like that. So look, look, their ceiling is is low, but... Or their sorry, their their floor is low, they're, but their ceiling is high. Yeah. They're a they're a high variance team, and it's just it the presence of Kevin Durant at least playing basketball. Because by the way, I've said this a bunch. If he's unhappy, he's always unhappy. Like he might play great basketball while he's a grump. It's it's not the most uncommon thing in the world for Kevin Durant to just be a little bit perturbed and still be cap capable of brilliance. And Kyrie Irving, I don't think like. Him playing well doesn't have to do anything with this situation. He just shows up and, you know, who knows what he's going to do. Yeah. Anyway, my, my general point on this, though, is penciling the Sixers into the top three, even even though I agree that they are, are part of that group right now, I'm a little uneasy about it just because there's Miami who's going to be pissed off and they didn't have a great offseason. We'll get to them in a little bit. You have Brooklyn. You have Cleveland who... Maybe they could be a great regular season team. I I don't think they'll be better than the Sixers. 
But you have enough teams where, like, if the Sixers have a blah regular season, if Embiid gets hurt for half the year, like, they, they could easily be in that five or six range, even if they're a pretty good team. Oh, no. Like, when we were talking about top three, uh, Brooklyn, everything goes right, certainly has the talent to push for that and to challenge for that. Um, they also have the combustibility where they could be completely blown up by the trade deadline. It's really tough to predict them. I still just wonder, you know, is Kevin Durant satisfied? Uh, and that might, you know, if they come out and they're on fire, maybe all everything's mended and he's happy and he will be here. Um, I do think him not going the nuclear option uh, and holding out makes that slightly more likely. But... We'll see. I still have, I'm not just completely sold, especially if they run into some struggles, especially if maybe Ben Simmons doesn't come back in a predictable manner, especially if Kyrie Irving doesn't come back in a predictable, predictable manner. Am I convinced that the relationship is repaired? No, they feel like sort of like a couple who's at couples counseling and they're hoping it gets repaired, but we'll see what happens by February. As you all know, by now we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10.00. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager so there's a middle ground here but if you had to pick what's more likely the brooklyn nets finished the eastern conference regular season as a top three seed, or Kevin Durant is not on the team by the trade deadline? I would say Kevin Durant is not on the team. I would say yeah, that's more I mean, likely. The, it's funny. Like, the Nets are the team and you part talk of that about. It's just because, like, there's three teams in the East who are really fucking good. Like, I- even with uh, Durant and Irving, like, the Nets don't have a lot of depth, they don't have a lot of defense. If there's any kind of an injury, which, by the way, Kevin Durant's been injured a lot recently. Um, they might be a dangerous, a more dangerous playoff team than a team who wins, you know, 55 games. Yeah, I, they, and they've been like this, I would say, over the last couple of years. They do strike you as a team that's like, all right, they're playing Utah at home. That's that's a game that the Sixers, Bucks, and Celtics are going to win by 20. Even, even if the Nets have a, the chance to beat all those teams in their arena and look awesome when Katie and Kyrie have it going— their floor is so low where, like, I'm not sure they'll be able to kill those yeah. teams. Uh, yeah, and honestly, you talk about them like we talked about the Sixers last year. A lot of people, you know, they projected their top teams in the East, and you just 
<laughs> cat. But you would just say with the Sixers, like, I, I'm just going to throw my hands up. I, I don't know what they're going to do. And Ben Simmons happened to be on both of those teams. So. <laughs> yeah. And a big part of the uncertainty, too. A big part of the uncertainty, too. All right, let's move on. I mean, the Celtics uh, lost, what, Tyson Stauskas gained Brogdon. Pretty big upgrade. Pretty big up- upgrade <laughs> for a team that already went to the finals. Yeah, they did lose Gallo, though. Yeah, no, uh, what, uh, ACL. Uh, while playing in the World Cup, uh, tore ACL. They, they're they saying that he's aiming to get back by the end of the season. That can sometimes be a tough injury to come back from. There can sometimes be setbacks. And who knows what he'll... I mean, he's, at, what, I think 34. He'll be 35 by that time of the season anyway. Uh, just a, a brutal injury. But that is a loss, too. Yeah. Good point. It uh, Well, yeah, they gained him and then they lost him. Yeah, yeah. it's... Uh, yeah, it sucks. I mean, I, I like him. I've enjoyed watching him over his career. But I also didn't think he was going to make or break Boston's playoff no, hopes. No, and more sucks for him than sucks for Boston. Yeah, where you know they were this super deep team, and now they're, you know, their front court is a little bit shaky outside of Al Horford and Robert Williams, who, by the way, are both massive injury risks. Al Horford because he's old, and Robert Williams because he gets hurt a lot, and he plays that really physical style. Uh, yeah, I didn't think Gallo was going to be in their key lineups in like the second round of the playoffs. Like if you're the right. If you're the Sixers and Boston is playing that switch-heavy defense in the second round of the playoffs, you don't need to be a rocket scientist <laughs> to see what intricate set Doc would draw up. Uh, if Gallo was playing, he, J- James, go get Gallo. Go go get Gallo and just roast him. That's that's what the set would be. Uh, so, I, yeah, they're going to be, I think, a very good regular season team. I, I do like the Brogdon addition because— Another injury risk, by the way. Oh, a huge injury risk, yeah. But when you looked at the Celtics, their their one weakness, they they played those six, seven guys, and they, they developed this great style, this switch-heavy, tough defense, bunch of wings, can shoot it okay. They turned the ball over an insane degree because they didn't have, you know, Marcus Smart was kind of their best decision maker. And look, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're, they're getting better at it, but they did not have a, a real point guard who could settle things down and get them better shots. And then look, by the way, like every team has weaknesses. So that's not like to say, Oh, like they are ridiculously flawed as a team. No, they, they rode that formula all the way to the NBA finals. But when they got there, that's what held them back at the end. So Brogdon could be, and that's uh, what held them back for like half the season too. (laughs) Like it's really easy to forget just how bad they were offensively. They should be a little smoother this year for sure. Yeah. and, And look, Brogdon is, I, he's a very smart player. He's not somebody you want running the offense all the times. Like I feel like Brogdon's the guy. Like you run a pick and roll and you go under on him and he shoots it and it it looks great and it goes in and out every single time. And it's like you know Indiana, it's the Isaiah Joe shot. Yeah, and the the other thing about him too, like when you see what Tyrese Halliburton was allowed to do for kind of a low stakes Indiana team over the past couple of years, that was it's a good environment for uh for him to put up some stats. So he but like look, he's played on Milwaukee before. He's played in some big stakes basketball and, and held up pretty well. I think defensively he could be the hunting spot. Like he's I think it would be James go get go get Brogdon. That would be the other thing the Sixers might do. But overall that's a that's a good addition. Yeah. No, I look I think they they along with the um Bucks are I think certainly the most complete teams in the Eastern Conference and the ones with the fewest questions. Um, you know, the Sixers, you have maybe more upside or as much upside as those two with two pretty massive questions in Embiid's health 
and Harden returning back to form. The Celtics and the Bucks, I think, have the fewest questions. And health is one with Boston. Um, that is a caveat you have to mention. I think Brogdon will be an important addition because, like you said, getting them into sets was a struggle at times, both in the, the, the finals and also for half the regular season. But if you look at what their defensive upside, it's just fucking massive. Like, that team can really be a great uh, defensive team. And I think now they're going to have good enough offense where they should hum along in a regular season pretty easily. Injuries uh, notwithstanding. One little prediction, and this will make Sixers fans, uh, I guess, happy because they don't like this guy. Uh, I don't think they're getting the same outward for season this year. I, I just don't. He wore down by the end of the finals. That that was a long season. He had just come off, literally just been put on the shelf yeah. by Oklahoma City. I, I don't think you're getting that same guy this year. He He's could still be helpful the to them for sure. For year. Yep. Super, super smart player, but like he was super human for them for long stretches last year. And I'm not buying that again. Uh, one other point on, uh, on Giannis. I was watching a little bit of the, the Euro basket. I think it is. Yeah. That, that's what it's going on right now. Just cause haven't watched basketball in a couple months and I was looking for something to watch. Giannis Shake was off playing those ag- muscles, stretch out a little bit. Your yep. basketball watching muscles. And Giannis was playing against Croatia against Dario. And it was funny. Watching Croatia and not caring about what Dario does was a was a weird experience. But man, I did get a kick. Their their team is literally the same players that I watched. Not hundreds of games, but tens of games. Where Bogdanovich is like FIBA Kobe. It was uh, <laughs> yeah. anyway. It was a pretty good game. And Giannis he was infuriating to watch back. And when we're trying to scout Dario, who really won the ball in his hands, and he would just go ISO constantly. Yeah. But he was he was pretty dirty though. He was, I I will give him credit. Like he was he was nasty. But they still have all these uh, all these char- characters. This guy Simon. Just nice to see Dario play now too. Yeah, it's good to see him. He's got a he's got a cool haircut. He's got going. Yeah, it's good to see him. He didn't play that well in the game yesterday. Also, Giannis playing in that in the FIBA level is very funny because on the one hand, he's physically he's just unbelievably overwhelming dunking on these guys. But on the other hand, like he doesn't have the space he has in the NBA. So it's it's about equal to challenge, even though he's playing against worse players. And like he didn't get a couple he didn't like dominate the game yesterday until the very end, but man, he's he's yeah. an insane basketball player. Even even as the game doesn't really cater to his skill set, he's still unbelievable. It's, it, it's crazy. It, it will just always amaze me how he was so undiscovered for so long up until his draft. Maybe the last undiscovered player we will ever see. Yeah. You know, I had I had somebody uh, like a former coworker in another field asking me like, hey, hustle. Like, is there any like, is that realistic at all? And it's like, well, first of all, like, I got all kinds of draft stuff wrong, uh, the whole draft process. But the whole concept of like an undiscovered player is pretty much impossible in today's world. Giannis, I think, was the last one. It was so weird watching that rise and how quickly he shot up draft boards and just went from a complete unknown to, you know, being a lottery pick. But it's also just equally surprising that he stopped at being a lottery pick. Like, how did this guy not go? Just look at his physical tools. And that's probably the one that I look at Hanky the most and say, what were you doing? Like that Come to on. me. Like, and, you knew I you were going to be bad for a couple of years. Come yeah, on. I remember at Draft Express, we got some of his, his footage before pretty much anyone in the media. And I remember watching him. And it's like, well, shit, if you have a 10th pick in the draft, just fucking take him because the upside is enormous. I have no idea if he can play basketball. And quite frankly, at that point, I'm not sure if he really could play basketball. But you could see the physical tools, and I don't care if he was playing second division Greece. I'm still pretty stunned that he didn't go top 10, and I'm 
a little disappointed in Sixers that they didn't have the courage because that's what Sam's whole thing was like, have the courage to take the upside play. He was such an amazing upside play that eh. he's watching MCW get some deflections in the in the zone in Syracuse. And we got to get him. Uh, that does suck, though, by the way, about the NBA. I wish there were more under the radar scouting gems like yeah. In, yeah. in football. You can be like I, I look at Jason Kelsey. You can be a six round pick and be like an all time player. And that's it's not common. But it happens yeah. for being an undrafted player. In baseball, you can get picked in the – how many rounds do they have of that thing? Like the, the 45th round? Like Jacob deGrom, he was a shortstop, a bad one for a while. And <laughs> because of the way player development works in that sport and how it's not a guarantee for every player and you know we, we have kind of the launch angle stuff now and all that stuff, there could be an under-the-radar player who turns into an absolute stud. I guess the closest one on that would be Jokic, obviously. Um, yeah. Giannis was just weird because he was just like, I don't mean like unknown, like, hey, this kid's a second round pick. I mean, like, people didn't fucking know who he was six months before his draft. Yeah. Especially like fans and whatnot, like just didn't know who he was. It was a, a wild time. Anyway. Anyway. I mean, I always said it like he was playing in CYO gyms. Like yeah, he was playing really like was. in the. Yeah. I mean, that it was really the real life hustle, honestly. Yeah. That's as close as we're going to get. No Adam right. Sandler, though. <laughs> you don't know. You could have been there. You don't know. Could have been. Yeah. <sighs> who did we Who did we miss? Uh, the Hawks? I think we didn't talk about the Hawks. We didn't talk about the Hawks. Lost Herder and Gallo uh, added outside of Murray, Harkless, and Holiday of the Justin variety. So what are your thoughts on where they stack up? I didn't like them going all in as much as Cleveland. And, you know, as you as we talked about for about 12, 13 minutes here, you know, the Cleveland one is exciting, but it certainly comes with some caveats. I, how, what's the upside for Atlanta right now? You know, the, the player they got in DeJounte Murray, they definitely needed a degree of toughness. I understand how you would want somebody to be a bulldog point of attack defender. When you have Trey young on your team, I think that mitigates some of his, uh, his weakness, but, you know, Deshante Murray was like a fringe all-star and he was playing for a, a bad team. And I, I I just do not know how much he is going to vault Atlanta into contention, specifically because he's going to cost a lot of money in a couple of years, too. And like money that he deserves is, you know, you know, the 35th best player in the league, whatever he is. But I, I just don't know how Atlanta adds to the core beyond that. And they right now they don't have enough. Yeah, no, I think all of that is fair. You know, they're a little bit. Cavs-ish in that they have a, a pretty good defensive front court to help overcome some of that, uh, not only with Capella, but Hunter and, and, and Harkless even throw in there. Holiday. Um, do they have both Holiday? Or not both, but two Holidays? Do they have 66% of a, uh, NBA Holidays? I'll look it up. <laughs> I think I think Aaron might be there, too. Um, but I think they have some pretty good depth there to help overcome their 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 starting point. Um, to help overcome Trey Young, because Murray is an incredible defensive player, even if it's not the tallest backcourt in the world. Yes, they do have Aaron. They still have, obviously, a lot of what made them dangerous there a couple of years ago, but I'm not sure Murray himself, because I do think Murray is a little bit of a flawed player. Um, I think the offensive productivity is a little bit overstated at times. Yes. but He, he had the ball on a bad team. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how he's how well he's going to fit next to Trey Young offensively. I think his defensive presence is going to be needed to help overcome Trey Young a little bit, but they're still going to have one extremely pickable player in young it's going to be hard to hide him in the playoffs i always worry about that a little bit and also now i'm just not sure if there's going to be optimal spacing around young 
to even be an elite offensive team. Um, I still like a lot of the young Capella pick and roll, the young Collins pick and roll as well. I, I worry a little bit about shooting, if I'm being honest, too, on that team and spacing outside of young. Like to me, and I don't know who this player is now, but the perfect player to pair with Trey Young to me is like prime Clay Thompson, where you're giving something up in terms of creation and yeah, you but know, you're getting not a lot of spacing, and he can hold his own defensively more than hold his own. Yeah, prime like Clay. The, the guy who takes the hardest matchups on defense and is a knockdown three point shooter. Which here's the thing, though, prime Clay Thompson, perfect fit on pretty much every team ever constructed. So. It's hard to find those guys. Hard to find those guys. And this is why it's it's difficult to build around Trey Young. Like I think the way you build around Trey Young, and and I'm not sure this would work in terms of like winning a title, but I I think you got to go three and D at like literally every single spot, maybe except center. And and you got to be awesome at both. You you basically, if you're willing to sacrifice dribbling, which I think on a lot of teams is a bad idea, and even with. Even with Trey Young, like I think that presents problems if you have guys who can't dribble. But he is such a weird fit because he's so bad defensively. Yeah, yeah. But he also can handle so much of the offense that you know giving him a ton of space would be a good idea. And I think they've kind of lost their way a little yeah. bit. I still could see them somewhere in that five through eight range. Like I certainly oh, think yeah. they're a playoff team. Absolutely. Um, but I just don't see them as having quite the upside that some of the other teams do, uh, even in that that four through six range. Uh, like Brooklyn, I think clearly has more upside. Cavs, I think have more upside. Miami has more upside. Atlanta might be the best of the rest, um, but I, I do uh, now. I say that, and they whooped the Sixers' ass a couple of years ago, uh, which really still amazes me to this day. Um, but I just I don't see them having. I don't see them as a contender right now. Even if they even if they're improved, and I think they're improved, but so many of the other teams in the East have improved so much. This really is going to be a tough Eastern Conference. Yeah, yeah, they they're going to be. I could see on the wrong night they're going to be a bitch to play against, and that's that's the East right now. There's nine teams yeah. that are going to be really hard to play against. And by the way, that team should be motivated after Trey Young saying the regular season didn't matter. I mean, that was an embarrassing performance from them yeah. last year. I I really hated how they played the entire year last year, just thinking because Ben Simmons folded and the Sixers folded that you know they were some some great team. They they got a little bit over their skis. So I, I just don't know if this is the uh, the right move, and they gave up a lot of stuff too. What they they gave up three picks too, right? I forget exactly. It was at three least unprotected picks. Two. Yeah, that was a while ago. In NBA offseason terms, that was a while ago. But yeah, no, they they definitely gave up a lot. Uh, picks are picks are are really cheap nowadays. You can get all of them. You can get all of them. All right, I think that's pretty much. So I guess overall, well, we we get, we should get to Miami real quick too. They didn't really do a ton. No, they pretty much just lost Tucker and brought back everyone else. For the most part, I feel like, right? Yeah. I I do worry from the Sixers standpoint. A lot of people have vaulted the Sixers ahead of Miami. And I think if you look at it, well, Miami lost P.J. Tucker and really didn't replace him. They just re-signed Caleb Martin, right? Yep. Yeah, I forget which one. They're both pretty good players. I like both. Caleb. Yeah. Uh, And they re-signed Oladipo as well. But they didn't get somebody for P.J. Tucker. All they got was a tampering investigation into what the Sixers did. Uh, I don't think that's going to help them on the court. We'll see. Uh, but it's it's interesting because, I mean, like, they were tougher than the Sixers last year. Yeah. They were awesome in the regular season. Jimmy Butler needs to be considered one of the five best playoff players in basketball right now. He just does. He earned that respect over the last three uh, playoffs. And and a lot of people are counting them out. So, you know, I, I think that's a it's still a scary team. 
but but a lot of people have vaulted the Sixers ahead of them. I I have too. But but I, I will acknowledge that you know that that's not a team that that's a team that tends to do well when there are lower expectations on. Them. Yeah, so, and look, they'll just find the next Gabe Vincent or Max Struess who will all of a sudden become a legitimate player and he'll replace PJ Tucker. I don't know how they do it, but it happens down there in Miami. Um, yeah, and that's why they're a good regular season team because those guys just help them grind out wins they shouldn't get. Yep. Yep. I agree. Uh, if you had to put, uh, let's say, the top seven or eight in the tiers, what would they be? One, two, Milwaukee, Brooklyn. I might put the Sixers by themselves at three. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I, I do think there's a chance they could get into that tier where it's the everything goes right, but, you know, haven't seen it yet. So let's. Upside wise, I think they're in that tier. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. But I'm going to put them in their own tier. Then let's go. No, you know what? Put Miami in the Sixers tier too. If if I'm putting another one down there, so Sixers, Miami, Brooklyn by themselves because I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and then Cleveland at the top. Cleveland. Let's go, Cleveland. Uh, who would you have next? I feel like that's Sh- where Atlanta comes in. Atlanta, Chicago, Chicago's next. Yeah. And then I don't know. The Knicks are below them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'd, pro- I'd probably, I think that's mostly right. Uh, I think I was probably thinking Sixers in their own, I, and I agree with you. I put uh, Boston Milwaukee in their own tier, not necessarily for upside. I think the upside the Sixers have is equal, uh, but just in terms of confidence in reaching that upside. Yeah, floor, I would say, yeah, too. Yeah, uh, so I would put the, yeah, certainly floor. Uh, so I would put the one, two, own tier, Sixers. Originally, I was going to put the Sixers in their own tier at three. You sort of talked me into bumping Miami back up into that tier, yeah. but I'm going to go with my gut. I'll go with the Sixers in their own tier at three. And then, you know, Miami, are they in their own tier? I'll I'll say Miami. No, I'll, I'll honestly put Miami, Brooklyn, and uh, Cleveland in the you next You should tier. have eight teams in their own tier. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, no, but Miami, Brooklyn, Cleveland, very different. Brooklyn with the most volatility, Miami sort of with the least, and Cleveland with the, I guess, the upside. We can put the upside in there. Uh, but those three in the tier, and then, uh, you know, I think Chicago and Atlanta probably would be the next tier, and then probably not going to be relevant after that. Um, it's a real good Eastern Conference. It's a real good Eastern Conference. The you top eight, the top teams. eight is is loaded. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. If Atlanta is the eight seed and they're a better team than they were last year, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yep. Nope. It's going to be tough. Tough sledding. Uh, I do still think the, and we, we're not going to get into predictions yet. I think the Sixers could still win a lot of games. Yeah. I mean, yeah we'll get to that a little bit later. I think I, I mean, I said, I think I said 55 on Nate Duncan's podcast. I might walk that back one or two wins when we get to our final predictions. I could even walk that up a win though, too. I expect them to win mid fifties, but it's not going to be easy. And if they suffer an injury to Joel, to Harden, to anyone, to Maxi, and I feel like we don't, even bring up that possibility because he's young and he's never really been injured, but any kind of injury and it could be, it could be tough. It could be real tough. Um, there's the East is as strong as I can remember. And as, as deep as I can remember in a long time, 55 wins to me, I would bet on that being the number one seed. I think I like, look, Boston, I think is going to be an absolute bear and they could, they could win that many games and Milwaukee, you know, we'll, we'll see, but they, they definitely have the pedigree of just running off wins in the regular season. Yep. 55 is a lot for that crew. It's a lot. For, for this, it's a lot. it's a lot in any year, but I, especially with how good the top of this conference is. I mean, look, when you play Charlotte four times, you got to yeah. beat them all four times. That's yep. just the, the point. That's how this is going to work. 
Yeah. I could I could see the Sixers being the number one seed. Um, but even if they were the number one seed, depending on how that played out, mostly depending on how Harden played, I might still give them the third best championship odds in the Eastern Conference. Just because two teams in um, Boston and Milwaukee that I just have a little more confidence in the playoffs. Uh, and that's and, where James has to kind of prove me wrong. And think about this, too. And by the way, they, they absolutely should go for the one seed, assuming, you know, Milwaukee and Boston are going to be up there. You, you have no idea how it's going to shake out. But, like, let's say they get the one seed and Milwaukee and Boston kill each other in the second round. All right, congrats. You're playing Jimmy Butler again Yeah. in the in the second round with home court advantage and hopefully healthy Joel Embiid. But it's uh, – look, whoever gets out of the East this year is going to they have to it. earn it. It's yep. – uh, it's a very good conference. I think the West probably is a little bit more depth than them. They they go about ten deep, but it's uh, it, it's it's very much like a, a top the top twenty teams in the league. It, the, the haves and the have-nots are, are very much showing up right now. Yeah, I agree. We'll make for some compelling action, which we are getting cl- inching closer to. Rich, thank you for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.